Welcome to Everything Life Coaching. I'm John Kim. And I'm Noelle Cordeaux. We are the founders of Lumia. And we're super passionate about all things coaching, and we want to share what we've learned from over a decade of coaching and training thousands of life coaches. Let's dive into the science and magic of coaching. On today's episode, Not Your Mama's Life Coach, we're going to talk about niches that uh, smash the status quo. Noelle, good morning. Good morning. Just a light little topic for for our time together. I'm actually really excited to get into this one because it got me thinking all about um, our Lumia coaches. And I thought that we wouldn't be able to talk about what smashes the status quo before we got into, well, you know, what is the status quo? First, can I just say real quick, um, our mamas, or maybe my mama, uh, didn't have a life coach or therapist. And I wonder how different she would have been when I was growing up if, well, if both my parents had life coaches. (laughs) Yeah. Mom, if you're listening, go to therapy. Therapy. Therapy for my mother. If you know my mother, send her to therapy. It'll be great. (laughs) I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. I think that that's a a beautiful way to kind of like frame this conversation Mm -hmm. is a really good friend of mine. It was before my first marriage and I was having a hard time with my folks. And one of my friend's moms sat with me at her kitchen table and said, you know, every generation reaches their limitation. Mm -hmm. And the things that you like about yourself, your parents gave you and they did the best they could. Right, right. And that always stuck with me as, as, as foundational. I also don't know. Um, I know we're all like, oh, you know, if our parents were different or if they had emotional intelligence or tools and then who would I be? I, I don't know. Would we be that different? I mean, I think, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know if it is, uh, uh, if it would be a significant jump. I think more of my change came from my own life and all the struggles and that what I had to go through, which have nothing to do with my parents. Um, I think they would have set me up better. And I think there would have been some difference, of course, with my relationship with self. I, I think I would believe in myself more, but I don't know if it would be this drastic, like, you know, I would be a completely different person. My life would be different had my parents had tools, you know? Yeah. And I, the older I get, the more I'm realizing that I'm still the eight-year-old version of me. Yeah. Just with, a, with a little bit different lens. <laughs> you just pay taxes now. That's all. I pay taxes. Well, sometimes yeah. I pay taxes. I pay taxes. Um <laughs> No, but but speaking of my eight-year-old self, I was a kid that um, I distinctly remember. I sports were very confusing and sad and scary mm. and traumatizing for me. And I remember mm. um, playing little league and doing ballet in the outfield and got in trouble because that's obviously oh. like you know not what I was supposed to be doing. But the part of me that kind of looked at the world and was like, this is weird. I think I want to do something else. Yeah. Was always present since I was a little kid. That visual is so powerful. You in the outfield and I see you dressed up, you know, in a, a baseball uniform, but you're doing ballet. Totally. There's yeah. so much that 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 says about you. Uh, I mean, I think it's sweet and, and fun, but also kind of sad, you know, that happening. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it, I it's, it's, and, and I think that that's characteristic of who I am today. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mm-hmm. do ballet in the outfield all the yeah. time. And yeah. 
I think one of the things that I'm the most grateful for um, in my life is what, whether it was my parents or, or my upbringing, people who are in my life that over the years, I developed an ability to look at all of the shoulds mm -hmm. that society puts on us mm -hmm. and say, I have questions about all of these shoulds. And as I work with clients and I work with training coaches, one of the things that I observe is that all of the ways that we think we're supposed to be mm -hmm. carry such heavy shame that they keep people stuck yeah. from exploring things in life that they really want to do. And such a huge part of coaching is helping people overcome those barriers. What were some things that, or ideas that you had about the world and how you were supposed to be that kept you stuck? Um, I think just growing up in a Korean American uh, household, it was about uh, academics, um, and maybe with you being on the East Coast, I I, I think East Coast uh, academia is more um, valued or more mm -hmm. definitely more so than LA. LA, it's like it, it, you know, uh, because I know because Vanessa's from New York, my partner, and um, everyone you know, it, it's all what school did you go to, and you know, like yeah. Boston and all the the Ivy League schools and the PhDs and all that. Um, that seems to be a big deal there. Here, it's like it was never um, that big of a deal. But being Korean, uh, as a young kid, it was always um, my dad throwing books at me. You you have to get straight A's. That's how you're going to succeed. Uh, yeah. Be a doctor or a lawyer. That was drilled sure. into my head. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, I think school. East Coast, yeah, for sure. It's a little bit more more like that. But I grew up in like a tiny beach town mm -hmm. where um, some people, you know, were very focused on academics and, and where you went to college. Yes. But, you know, other folks, you know, like my neighbors down the street ran a photography studio or people mm. were fishermen or worked at mm -hmm. the bar. And so I, I kind of saw a different slice of life. Um, but that was something, especially in my younger years, was getting good grades was something. And mm -hmm. and I, I'm a smart person, but I wasn't really great at traditional learning in a lot of ways. It was either like straight A's or F's. And I know I, mm. I baffled my parents. And for a really long time, I didn't think I was smart. Wait, um, based on when would you get the A's, when would you get the F's? Based on what you um, um, uh, learned and, and how interested you were in that or no? Or just what my brain was able to do. No. Um, so, like, I uh, I flip letters and words around. That's how my brain works. And so, I, as an adult, know that I I taught myself. Once I understood what words meant, I was able to put them in the right order and read. But well, I you mean like because I'm dyslexic. You mean like yeah. that? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was never formally diagnosed, but yeah. like that's that's how my brain works, right? Yeah, me too. Um, and so yeah, so it was really so spelling. Like I was a great reader, but I couldn't spell. And I've never been able to figure out algebra or geometry, no. <laughs> like like shapes and letters and, and how does this all work? Yeah. No clue. Yeah. Like, and it wasn't for a lack of wanting, but that was an idea that I had of myself. Oh, I'm not smart because I mm -hmm. couldn't do these things mm -hmm. that that set me up with this thing that I eventually had to overcome, you know, as an adult. Um, for me, I think as growing up in a beach town, my family of origin, um, how I looked was very, 
very much a priority. That was one of the rules that was handed down was like being thin was mm-hmm. huge sure. and being conventionally attractive. Was... Wait, even even in the little beach town was mm-hmm. uh, that was um, a lot of people focused on that. That was a uh, uh, pressure that came with that that area. Absolutely. Oh, and I mean, it came it came from my family. Um, uh, my mom's family, uh, Italian. Mm. And I I mean, I remember that being, you know, part of the narrative. I remember one of my aunts saying to me that my grandma used to restrict food because she didn't, she, cause she wanted thin daughters. Mm. And so it was, it was just something that was like very part, part of the narrative growing up. And so that's, that's something that, that really showed up for me. Heteronormativity, like, I, I've been blown away. Um, in 2023, I remember seeing a news headline that a young woman wasn't allowed into her prom because she wanted to wear a pantsuit. And mm. I was like, are, are we really still stuck on like dresses? Right. <laughs> like, and, and just even thinking about like life markers, like school dances, yeah. you know, proms, like your first coupling. Like for me, that was all very heteronormative. One of the things for me was uh, not being white. Mm. That was huge. I, I uh, and not only not being white, uh, it would have been easier if we were in an Asian community, but we uh, lived in a place where it was all just Caucasian, and so being the only Asian uh, family on the entire block, yeah, I, I didn't want. I was embarrassed of being Korean. I was embarrassed of what we ate. I was embarrassed of everything, and so I desperately wanted to be white oh. so bad to fit in. I remember that as a kid. Um, and of course that faded and, you know, I love that now it's, it's, it's a lot less like that. Uh, but the, in the eighties, it was, uh, it was, it was very like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It, it was. And, you know, these are the things that as we're coaches and we're thinking about our clients, these are the hangups that we all carry with us into adulthood. Um, another right. one for me was, um, you know, get married. That was something like that mm. my mom has actually directly said, like, I just want to see my daughters married. Mm. Um, so that was that was a huge one. You got um, married in your 20s, right? Mm-hmm, I did. Yeah, yeah. I got married in my 20s. I got divorced in my 20s. I got married again in my 30s, mm-hmm. still married. And and it was it's a, just a huge family value. Same thing with having kids. I don't have kids. I don't I'm not going to have kids. Right. So that's something for me that I had to really grieve. But you you surprised me, <laughs> Logan. I, I surprised myself. Uh, but you, you know, if I waited a year, I don't think uh, I would have um, had a kid. Uh, it, it was, um, it wasn't planned, kind of, and uh, I didn't really see it in my future. So yeah, it wasn't something that uh, you know, it didn't have a lot of weight as far as uh, um, what I what I defined as far as you know, um, a meaningful life. Yeah. Yeah. And now it does, but before, no. Yeah. In my first marriage, that was a a very heavy focus. Like our whole life was oriented around like Mm. when we're going to have kids. And before Mm -hmm. I got divorced, we were building a big house. And like, I really grieved the idea of not being a mother. And I'm so glad. (laughs) Like, I am so glad that I never became one because I think that I really liked the idea, but if I'm actually being really honest about, you know, who I am as a person, Mm -hmm. sure, I would make the sacrifice. I'm a very caring, smart, and competent human, but I don't know that I would actually be the best mom. 
Yeah, I mean, I uh, def, I mean, definitely uh, at fifty, um, I'm a lot more patient and I can uh, be a better dad. But in my twenties and thirties, no way. I mean, I, I would have been horrible. I would have not been present. I would have been, yeah. I just, I would have been a really, really bad dad. I think. And I think that's okay for people to say. And and yeah. um, in these conversations, especially around parenthood, you know, this is these are what our, our clients are dealing with, whether mm-hmm. they have kids or don't have kids. You know, I know so many moms that are like, I hate this and I want out of every single facet of my existence. And it's yeah. almost it's like it's like taboo to say that yeah. out loud. Yeah, I, uh, I was in a uh, men's circle and I said, uh, I don't like parenting. And everyone's like, what? And I said, I, I love Logan. Uh, I mean, you know, she, she means the world to me now, but I don't, I don't like parenting. And there was this silence. I felt the judgment. And yeah. then um, a couple hours later, one of the dudes texted me and said, dude, I don't like it either. And I can't <laughs> believe you said that. And I, I was like, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I at 50 feel like I have some freedom now. I've worked really hard. I'm like here. And then having a child anchors you down, your day-to-day changes. I don't like it. And, and, uh, he, he related with me, but he's like, yeah, but you're not supposed to say that. I was like, I know that's why I said it. <laughs> and, and that's the point. That's the exact inflection point is like, what's yeah. the stuff we're not supposed to say out loud. I took an intake call with a client that I didn't end up working with, but this person wanted to make a career change. And what was holding this person back was what their mother, father, siblings would mm. think of, a, right. of abandoning, you know, a stable career path. Yeah. And I think everybody I know who's ever become a life coach has gone through that where everybody's like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, it's yeah. actually a very fulfilling career. You know, um, speaking of mothers, I've had six motorcycles and my parents have always been against motorcycles like many are. And I get it, you know, that can be dangerous. And so even now, she said, I'll give you 10 grand if you sell your motorcycle. And I said, uh, no, <laughs> no. And, and I was thinking, and this is what I tell my clients, it, by me riding my motorcycle, because it still produces joy for me, I'm giving back my mom's fear to her. So I'm carrying something. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm refusing to carry something that I don't, that's not mine to own, right? Yeah. Because they become uh, pebbles in your shoe. And if I was to take the 10 grand and sell my motorcycle, then now I'm carrying my mom's fear, right? Yeah. So now I'm living her life, not mine. And so, yeah, there's a, a lot of people who make decisions. A lot of people are afraid to be coaches because of other people's, you know, insecurities, fears, judgment on what coaching is, what it isn't and all that. Yeah. And well, let's, this is a, the perfect point to swing over to coaching and, and coaches who are not only smashing the status quo, but carving out their own space mm-hmm. in the world mm-hmm. and helping people tackle these exact conversations because undercover, like uncovering all of the things that our clients think that they should do and then really getting in there with their relationship with those things and how to overcome them is smack in the middle of our work as coaches. Yeah. Um, so I was looking at the list of all the things that we came up with and I thought of a coaching question that I ask my clients. Um, I asked my clients what they would be doing differently if both their parents were dead. Mm. <laughs> okay, right. So there's no... Um influence there. 
there's no influence there and it's a totally morbid question and i and i i ask it in a way to get folks to think about because like because when i ask that question the response that i usually get from people is like whoa freedom and how sad that there's that waiting game (laughs) before you can be who you want to be live out your life do what you want to do and I, I see this all the time in the work that I do, especially around sexuality, non-traditional relationships, just the amount of wasted time and negation mm-hmm. of what you want to do with your precious days on this earth is just astounding and heartbreaking. Yeah, that is a really interesting question. I haven't heard that before, um, but it's not just parents, but yeah, anyone that has um, pull over your decisions, it could be friends, yeah. but if, yeah, if they're not in your life, they're not around. Um, how would that change you? What decisions would you make? Yeah. What decisions would you make? Yeah. It's, and it's, it's, it's a powerful question. So Mm -hmm. let's dive into the coaches that we see in the world who are actually out there working with folks who are doing things differently. Um, The first thing that came to mind for me is folks who are neurodivergent coaches Mm -hmm. because um, our brains are so intense and for folks who are neurodivergent or have a different way of seeing and existing in the world the world is like literally not built for you yeah (laughs) and so coaches uh working in this space this is like huge business it's really booming right now um and i see it taking place in two places both like working with clients. So like somebody who is an ADHD coach will work Mm -hmm. with somebody who has ADHD to help them understand the world, how to exist in it, how to move through it. And I'm also seeing it in corporations where corporations are hiring coaches Mm -hmm. to come in and work with managers on how to set up inclusive environments for people who are neurodiverse because the value of a workforce with diverse brains is understood. And that's really cool to see. What about the educational piece? Meaning, um, what is that? You know, how do you know if you are, uh, you know, what are the the, um, the stereotypes and, you know, all of that stuff? Oh, yeah. And I think yeah. that's where this niche is really expanding. Um, I know folks who are working with parents, and, you mm-hmm. know, working with kids when they first get the diagnosis, helping them transition from high school to college, working with adults who are like, oh, my God, they know this is who I am. Now my whole life finally makes sense to me mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can start navigating the world, you know, in a different way. Um, yeah, it's and it's and I think the navigating the world in a different way is kind of at the center of all of this work. I've seen a huge boom in body acceptance coaches. Have you seen right. that in right. in your travels? Yeah, I think body acceptance, um, I mean, it's not a new thing, but I think, uh, um, you know what, actually, uh, uh, that, yes, I've seen, but you know what's emerging now is being self-partnered. Um, mm, because, yeah. because uh, and I'm saying this because my whole single purpose book, uh, the idea that you have to be with someone to have value, or like you yes. said, you know, marriage, kids, picket fence, yeah. all that is fading. And now people are um, more okay, more okay, uh, being single and uh, uh, finding joy in not partnership, but in other things in life. Miley Cyrus has that song, I could buy my own flowers. I don't know what it's called, but it's become like huge. And so it's all about, um, 
connecting to self more than holding on to someone's leg or you know, absolutely yeah a hundred percent and the the demographics of our country show it i think um 20 21 percent of folks out there are single on purpose and mm-hmm. so the, the, the way that i heard about this really recently this week yesterday in fact was um uh, a conversation looking at coaching within organizations talking about benefits and mm. somebody was saying hey we're not accounting for this whole population of people that experiences life markers differently from an employee benefits perspective and so mm. catering to this specific population you're right is is a huge area that's that's like totally growing i see body acceptance a lot in in the work that we do uh, or that i do with with colonized mind which is like mm-hmm. really looking at like well what what did the world say you were supposed to be and how do you overcome it and i think that that really ties into the idea of being um solo of like mm-hmm. i get to determine what my worth is in every single direction and i yeah. don't need to be under the weight of standards to tell me at what point I will be acceptable, right? It's uh, sad that this is um, fairly new. <laughs> I know. It, it makes me think of, you know, the world that our parents grew up in and all of the pressures and, uh, um, yeah, this was their living living in the ant farm, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So shouting out Lumia Coaches, uh, Joe Portia. She's doing mm-hmm. really great work in mm-hmm. um in female sexuality and empowerment she looks at at at, at your relational life your relational freedom your body mm-hmm. um and then there's another um boom happening we've talked about this a lot recently with friendship coaches mm-hmm. and and there's a legit epidemic of loneliness in our society so where the status quo is like oh no put all your eggs in the basket of being partnered Friendship coaching is looking at and saying, well, hey, what does it take to help people build a whole community out there? Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever had people wanting friendships come up? I mean, I imagine this is taking place with a lot of your single work. You mean of, people wanting like, what? More friendships, more community. The, it's like really Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so instead of, uh, swiping and just, uh, being desperate to find, you know, quote unquote, their one instead putting that energy into community, into friendships, into th- themselves, you know, taking themselves out to uh, massages, dates, retreats, all of that stuff. Um, I mean, that's the way to do it. You know, what's the alternative? Just you know. desperately look for someone and, and pause your mind. <laughs> well, and I think a lot of people do that, honestly. No, and they so, do. Mo- so the most people do. So like that is legit the alternative and, 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 you know, the coaches that are out there doing this work are, are waving the flag for people saying like, you don't have to live this way. Yeah. Um, Denise Waters is one of our coaches. She has mm-hmm. a practice that's focused on connection coaching. Mm-hmm. And then another one of our coaches, Wilderness Dawn, um, does this work through a really unique lens, which I like. It's through the work of nonviolent communication, which is helping mm-hmm. people learn how to speak up learn how to listen and learn how to set boundaries is like really foundational for engaging with people in a way that truly serves, you know, you. I wish my name was Wilderness. What a cool name. I've <laughs> never heard anyone. Oh my gosh. Wilderness. That's so awesome. Anyway. Baby number two, John. There you go. No, no, no. no. <laughs> 
well, one and done. I'm already, I've already, uh, I've already cut, cut things. It's, it's over. <laughs> it's good. We, I'm safe. We are, are on cue today because next up is sexuality coaching. So, you know, this is, this is a huge space. So whether we're talking this about- This is exploding for sure. Kids, pregnancy, yeah. having them, not having them, yeah. figuring out some people, like honestly, figuring out how to have sex as an adult, learning about sex, different communities that you could be a part of. different Non-monogamy. Like, non-monogamy can huge yeah it can be super overwhelming i mean non-monogamy powers a lot of my own practice and the thing is not the thing it's like folks come in for like i want to explore this and we end up working on obviously like their their whole life but that's yeah. a huge yeah. part of it yeah. is when in my experience with clients when people really want to live a certain way and they feel like the pressures of society are saying like if you do that you're going to be shamed. Mm. The weight of that causes such cognitive dissonance. It, it mm. causes such stuckness. It causes such pain. And the reason that I do the work that I do is because to me, that's somebody wasting their time. And, and I don't want that for anyone. That's all we yeah. have is our time. So we have a lot of coaches who do this work. Um, Maria Two Straps, she she works with you on. Yes, on I was going to just shout. I was going to say, speaking of, you know, shout, a shout out to coaches. Yeah, she's been doing it. And um, she's very potent. And uh, uh, not, not only is she, um, you know, a coaching, but her whole, the way that she lives her life and the things that she does outside of work is also all related. So it's, it's very, she's very thorough in the, her exploration of all of that, educating herself and, and everything. Absolutely. And, yeah. and she is a, a really robust practice um, mm -hmm. in kink helping people with like beginners right. think of like, you want right. to explore this world? What's it like? Come on in. Rena, Rena yeah. Yep, she does sexual empowerment for women. Mm -hmm. um, Libby Sinback is, mm -hmm. uh, is non-monogamy. She's awesome. Her podcast is phenomenal. And um, Justin Citron, one of the instructors of our mm -hmm. program, um, he focuses on a really specific area of sexuality of, of puppies being a pup and has created this beautiful community for men to come in and be a part of and have game nights and have coaching mm. and explore, you yeah. know, a really specific facet of the world. It's amazing. It's amazing. And also, um, it's telling of all the different things that you can do as a coach and it just keeps expanding and, you know, going back to the, uh, the you know, niches and, uh, um, smashing, uh, what you think, you know, coaches are supposed to do you creating your own road interest um, is happening every day. Every day. And it doesn't have to be like niche based, like kink or non-monogamy, like Paul Chamberlain works with shame, like just mm -hmm. like straight right. up, yeah. you know, shame. Um, and I think I see folks doing this in the space of career coaching as well, because mm -hmm. outside of your personal life, your sexuality for adults, this is one of the big areas where folks have you know, a ton of challenge. And something that I love seeing is when people get really, really, really specific with it. There's two people I'm thinking of. Um, Kat Simmons is one of our coaches. Mm -hmm. She's in the UK. And she is really specifically a career transition coach for nonprofit and humanitarian workers. Wow to make career shifts without overwhelm. And I was like, that is so brilliant because anyone who fits that description is gonna recognize themselves yeah. in, in what she's doing. Um, and then Jim, Jim's 
Jim's practice is a uh, Zen laundry coaching, and he is coaching mm. for leaders who are experiencing spiritual crisis. Oh, I love that. Right. I love, I love the term Zen laundry. <laughs> Me really too. Yeah. Just to wash it all out. And yeah. then, you know, that takes us into like all the stuff that nobody wants to talk about, like drugs, mm-hmm. psychedelics, finances, organization, you know, down through like creativity. One of our coaches, um, Lee McGraw-Levitt does creativity coaching and, and Sharon Calderon does play coaching for adults, mm. which I love. Yeah. We all need more play for sure. We do. We do. Well, this was a fun conversation. What are you going to do today to um, smash the status quo in your own life? I'm going to... Um... Oh, I'm uh, I'm uh, I have a workbook coming out, and so I've been busy cool. doing something different. Uh, so I'm uh, speaking of of coaches and catalysts. Um, I'm uh, giving kits. Uh, my publisher are mailing out kits to people who want to run their own little home churches and coffee shops and stuff, all about cool. singlehood. So I'm just um, again playing with my Legos, uh, trying to promote in a different way. Um, and this one's going to be more like uh, hitting the street, street marketing. I love that. Uh, yeah. I've actually, I've been thinking a lot about the work that I do in my own coaching practice because I only work with like four people, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but I think that a lot of people could benefit from the methodology that I use mm-hmm. in in overcoming these exact things like sex, yeah. drugs, what your parents think, career. And um, so I wanted to put together kind of like a workbook, but just like a little, a workbook, a primer yeah. for folks. So that's, yeah, that's something yeah. I'm playing around with too. I love it. You know, as we end, I want to remind you, uh, whether you're a coach or not, use your own life as the experiment. And uh, if you think, okay, I'm just going to get information out of this, like what I'm doing is also terrifying, right? Giving kids to random people all over the world uh, to run their own little thing. Um, but the reason I do it is because after I'm done, instead of seeing it as a success or failure, I'm going to learn so much. There's going to be so much data from it that that's going to help other authors and I could share that. And so then you kind of get out of your own way and your own fears. So um, that's one way to kind of lean into something that may scare you. Oh, I love that. I'm going to use that. What can I learn about spreading radical thought in the world? Yeah, absolutely. What can you learn? Cool. Well, thank you for the conversation. And I will see you next time. Yeah. Be well, everyone. Thanks for listening to Everything Life Coaching. If you're feeling the draw to become a coach, head to lumiacoaching.com slash everything. Explore a new career that brings fulfillment, gives you a true sense of purpose, and a bold community to do it with. Lumia is ready to equip you with the tools, training, and community you will need to reach your goals. If you're ready to build a unique coaching business on your own terms while making an impact on the world at large, Lumia is the next bold step in your coaching journey. That's lumiacoaching.com slash everything. And hey, if you're waiting for a sign, this is it.